the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Word to Stand On for Life. My name is Pastor Ken Cruzado, and today and this whole week, I have the privilege of filling in for my pastor, Pastor Ron, who will not be in. And so uh, what I'm going to do is what he always does is take your questions, uh, take your Bible questions, how we can help you with uh, putting the Word of God into practice in your life, because that's how you fall in love with Jesus. And so with that, I will give you the radio show phone number. 210-340-9585. That's the number to call in. If you're out of the area, we've got a toll-free number. That's 877-630-5757. 877-630-5757. The email to submit your questions to the show is questions, that's plural, at calvarysa.com. We have our mobile app, the church mobile app. You can submit questions that way. You can listen to the show using the KSLR mobile app if you're in your car. And you can dial in directly from there also. Okay, so today is the Tuesday edition of the show. We don't have anything going on here at Calvary Chapel. And so we'll we'll get right into the questions that have been submitted. We've got quite a few. And so we'll get to them. Okay, the first one is from Natalie. I think she submitted a couple of questions here. The first one is this. Are we predisposed to certain sins? What if parents drank a lot? Does that get passed on to the children? Okay, are we predisposed to certain sin? No. But are we predisposed to sin in general? Yes, we sure are. And when I use the word predisposed, it just means that we have this sin nature, this sinful nature that wants to sin, sort of like a magnet. We're attracted to sin, and that's our flesh. And so there isn't like a specific gene that's passed on from parent to child that says that they're predisposed to sin. I mean, that's what our culture tries to teach us, that we were born this way. Um, that's not true. All of us were born with the desire to sin. That's why we have the sinful nature. And so uh, we're not predisposed to certain specific sins. So in your example here, if you say, what if parents drank a lot? Does that get passed on to the children? No. No, but there is something very important here, Natalie. What the Bible does show us and teach us is this, that even if we are not uh, predisposed to certain sins and that we don't pass on a, a sin specific sin gene to our children, what we do is demonstrate a pattern for our children. We demonstrate a pattern that they will follow. And so if the parent is involved in a lifestyle of sin, for example, alcohol or, or drug abuse or or, or anything, uh, 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 if they see in their home the practice 
of sinful behavior, well, there isn't a sin gene that's passed on. It's just the sinful nature that's going to see that and act on it. And that's what the sinful nature wants to do. And so the children will see the effect of sin. And this brings up sort of a tangential topic uh, when it comes to generational curses, the Bible doesn't teach that there are genera- generational curses or generational sin. Some churches incorrectly teach that it is a real thing, but it's not. And so what's often cited is the passage from Exodus chapter 20. And then we're talking Uh, God is talking about idols and saying, you don't bow down to them for I, the Lord, am your God and I'm a jealous God. And this is the part that often gets confused for generational sin. He says, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and to the fourth generation to those that hate me. To those that hate me is the key here. Though it's not saying, God isn't saying that the the sin of the father is going to get passed on. The judgment is going to get passed on to the son and to the, the son's sons. No, what he's saying is that those that hate me will suffer the consequences. And if there are parents that are demonstrating ungodly behavior in the home, well, the effects of sin, the consequences of sin, it's going to hurt the children. And, and the punishment... Uh, won't necessarily get passed on. The judgment won't get passed on, but what will happen, what will get passed on is the consequences because the pattern of sin is going to be copied. So this is important, uh, Natalie. The the answer to your question is there aren't uh, certain sins that, that we are predisposed to, but it is very, very important that we understand the example that is set at home will carry consequences and the effects of sin could affect or hurt the children in the home. I hope that helps. Uh, There's a second question here also from Natalie. Uh, What do you think about listening to secular songs with curse words? I don't know if this is related to the first question, but um, I can see the the correlation here. But to answer your question, my personal opinion really doesn't matter. But the Bible does tell us that ungodly language should not come from our lips. Now, I know your question was about listening to secular songs with curse words. But here's what's important. Colossians chapter 3, Paul writes that we, those of us who are born again, must, must, this is a command, must rid ourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and then he says filthy language from our lips. And so if you're listening in your home to filthy language, if that's going into your ears, filthy language is what's going to come out. And I want to honor Jesus in my house. Now, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not shocked or surprised when unsaved people use ungodly language. I expect sinners to sin, but I'm not going to uh, play that in my home. That which dishonors the Lord. And if the Lord says, you know, use your mouth to encourage people. This is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. And then he goes on to say, but only what is helpful for building others up. That's what Jesus wants us to do in our homes. That's the way he wants us to communicate when we talk to one another. So whenever... Children say that, well, it's just, I'm just listening to it. Or when people say, it's, it's like, I don't hear it. I just ignore it because I've heard that. People tell me they listen to secular music and they'll hear curse words, but they'll just sort of skip over it. 
And what I tell them is, is you, you have been um, sort of disaffected by that. Your, your, your senses have been dulled because you're so used to it. And that's getting into your mind. And without you even knowing it, you're thinking on these things. Now, again, I'm, I'm not surprised when I hear people talk that way. If I have a chance to honor the Lord in my home, and especially when it comes to the children at home, parents, you make the rules. It's Jesus's home. And so even if there aren't any curse words, you're the one that gets to control the content. And it doesn't matter what excuse the, the, the kids at home have. They are under your your rules, your house rules. And so what I think about secular songs with curse words is I would avoid them because it doesn't honor the Lord. Oh, thanks, Natalie. I hope that helps. And thank you for submitting your questions. Next one is anonymous. Hi, Pastor Ken. I'm a Christian, but my mom and dad are not. I live with them and it's difficult to share my faith with them because they don't really listen or respect my walk with Christ. How can I live with my parents and still be a light to them by sharing my faith with them? Anonymous, I, I can hear the pain in your question, and this is, a, this is an important one. As I just mentioned this in the previous question, you live in your parents' home. So that means you have to abide by their rules. It doesn't mean you can make them a Christian, but there are house rules. You have to abide by them. Now, when those rules violate your walk with the Lord, like an example, uh, if there is a house rule that says you can't go to church. And I can't imagine a house with rules like that, but if there's a house rule that says I can't, you can't go to church, well, because you love Jesus, you want to go to church. You're not going to do it behind their back, but you need to have a conversation with them and say, this is what Jesus has asked me to do. And you want to respectfully tell them and have a conversation with them and say, I, I, I want you to know my Jesus, and I want you to know how much I love him. I want you to know him yourself, and I need to go to church. Again, I don't know if this is what you're talking about, but that kind of rule is sort of an extreme where it violates your conscience. In that case, I would find another place to live. Your commitment is to the Lord. Now, you don't mention anything about age. You don't mention anything about, um, you know, if you're an adult or not. I'm assuming that here that you are and you have the ability to live on your own, if that's the case, then then whenever you are in a situation at home that, that violates your conscience, then you need to be somewhere else. Now, Back to your specific question, how can I live with my parents and still be a light to them by sharing my faith with them? Here's an example that Paul writes to Titus about. You're in the home and you abide by their rules. And by abiding by their rules, you actually are being a witness to them. Titus chapter 2, Paul says that slaves... This is the context. The, the context here is sort of a work environment. Slaves are subject to their masters in everything. S to try to please them, not to talk back to them. Then he says this. You don't steal from them, but show them that you can be fully trusted. So that in every way, you will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. That anonymous is how you share your faith with them. Your mouth is open. You're talking about Jesus. And if they're not receptive to what you're saying, you still keep talking uh, whenever they're listening. But you let you, you make sure the life that you live, 
the way you behave at home, the way you follow the rules that they've given you at home, is a testimony is a testimony to what Paul the Apostle just wrote. Because by abiding by the rules, in this example, the slaves being subject to their masters, not talking back to them, you're not arguing with them, you're not stealing from them, meaning you're not doing anything uh, in secret or, or doing anything underhanded. What's happening here is that you are you're actually... Uh, being a light and a witness to them. And and here's the best part about this verse. I love this. It says that the your obedience to the word of God makes Jesus attractive to them. They will in every way you will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. And that anonymous is how you witness to your parents. It's one thing to, to use your mouth to, to say something, and you should. I mean, this is how we witness, this is how we share our faith, by using the words that come out of our mouth. But if you, the, the things that you say are backed up by a lifestyle that has been completely changed, well, then there's, there's, there's power there. There's power there. And I, I love this because this is exactly what happens for people who become born again. It's... It sounds like you you may be a new believer. Again, this is just something that I, I, I'm assuming based on your question. And if that is the case, what better way to show how Jesus has changed you than, than by letting them see what you used to be and who you are now? Anonymous, I, I can speak to this from personal experience. I remember the day that I gave my life to the Lord. It was on November 30th, 1997. And I came home from church. That was a, a Sunday evening. Somebody had brought me to church. I, I, I've heard the gospel message and gave my heart to Jesus in a very emotional and dramatic fashion. Now, I grew up in a religious home, so I knew about Jesus. I grew up in a Catholic home, so... I knew about religion, but I wasn't saved. That day, when I gave my life to the Lord, I came home, the first person I saw was my dad. And my dad, he wasn't a believer. There was nobody in my house that was a believer. Uh, but I had a reputation at home of being the, the sort of the black sheep, the one that always got in trouble. Well, when I got home and I saw my dad, the first person that I saw, I told him about what happened. And I said, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And he didn't believe me. And he said, you know, we'll see what happens in a few days because this will change. Like everything else, you just don't finish anything. And he had every right to say that. But you know what happened after that, Anonymous? I studied the Bible. I got to know who Jesus is. And little by little and more and more, I fell in love with Jesus and it wasn't like I was trying to show my dad that I was changed. The The inward change was, was manifesting itself in my outward lifestyle. And it was undeniable, at least to him and to everybody else at home. And Titus chapter 2, verses 9 and 10 was exactly what happened. The teaching about God our Savior became attractive to everyone in the home. And so everybody got saved in my house. And it wasn't because of anything that I did, but it was because that they they saw Jesus in me. And so Anonymous, I, I'm praying for you. I, I'm praying specifically that that your parents would see Jesus in you. You mentioned that it's difficult to share your faith. That's okay. Don't give up. And, and don't look for a response. Remember, it is the Holy Spirit's responsibility to move in their hearts, not yours. Your job is simply to proclaim the truth and, and let that planted seed be watered by the Lord. And that's how you live with your parents. And so I, I hope that helps. Let me give you the phone numbers 
210-340-9585. The toll-free number is 877-630-5757. Uh, you can submit your questions via email at questions at calvarysa.com. Okay, the next question is from Jacob. What is the differences between a mature Christian and a immature Christian? And how can I become a mature Christian? Oh, I love this question, Jacob. So the difference between a mature Christian and an immature Christian is, is this. One knows Jesus better than the other. Now, what I mean by that is this, and I don't mean to oversimplify it, but that's what it really comes down to. A mature Christian is so close to Jesus that they're not letting anything come in between their walk with the Lord. An immature Christian is somebody that may belong to Jesus, but has got so many things, so many distractions that allow some type of space in between them and Jesus. And for anybody in our who is a Christian, any it doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. I've seen Christians who have been saved for decades that are still immature. And I've seen Christians, fairly new Christians, who who are more mature than those who have been saved for a longer period. It all has to do with how well you know Jesus. Because the, the more you know Jesus, the more in love you'll fall with him. I say that over and over. We say that all the time because it's absolutely true. Now, about uh, becoming a mature Christian, that's the second part of your question. You become a mature Christian by studying your Bible over and over and over again. John chapter 1, I mentioned it yesterday on the show, but it's the passage that describes who Jesus is. And in the 14th verse of that first chapter, it says that, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's Jesus. The Word of God is Jesus. And so the more you know this living and active Word, the, the Bible that you have in your hands, the more you get to know Jesus. And the more you get to know Him, the more His Word will dwell in your heart and in your mind. And that's what a mature Christian does. They, they let the Word of God dictate their thought process. Are there Christians who are carnal and immature? Yes, there are. And those are the, the people, though they truly belong to Jesus, they live oftentimes a very miserable life, a life complicated with all kinds of things. You know, when Paul wrote, when Paul the Apostle wrote to the church, of the churches in Corinth, he would address them as brothers because they were believers. But if you look at the content of the two letters that he wrote, especially the first one, there were all kinds of things that were going on, That things that he said, what even people who aren't uh, saved don't act like this. It's because they were carnal. They were immature. And so, Jacob, there are great differences between a mature Christian and an immature Christian. And you could see it in the way that they live their life and the fruit that's being produced. God wants to bring each one of us into maturity, into that, that, that what he describes in Philippians chapter 1 is that completion. God is faithful. God is faithful to, to make us mature if you are with him. And that only comes through the Bible. Get to know your word, Jacob, and, and make it fun. Get, you know, when you study the word of God, you read it, um, think critically about how that applies to your life. Pastor Ron often says this, you know, when you're looking at the scriptures, ask yourself the question, 
So what? So what? what? What does this mean? And I love that because it forces you to think about how that applies to your life. And that'll open up doors in, uh, for the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart about what he wants to do. You know, last night we were teaching, I was teaching in Romans chapter 1, the very last part of Romans chapter 1, and, and there were some despicable things being listed about what the lives look like of those who reject the gospel message, those who exchange the truth of God for a lie, and says that they were God-haters, they were insolent, they, they were uh, disrespectful to their parents. Uh, and, and, and all these descriptions, you see the, the wickedness that lives in all of us. This is our flesh. Now, for those who are born-again believers, we still have that ugly, sinful nature that we need to put to death every single day. And the way we do that is by being with Jesus through his word. And just, So, Jacob, I hope that answers your question. You can hear the music. That means we are at the very end of the first half of the Word to Stand Up for Life, the Tuesday edition. I'll see you in two minutes. back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the show. This is the Word to Stand On for Life, the second half of the Tuesday edition. And if you're just joining the broadcast, some of you I know are driving home from work and tune into the second half. Welcome. Let me give you the phone numbers to dial in, 210-340-9585, 210-340-9585, the toll-free number, 877-630-5757, 877-630-5757. If you want to submit an email with your question, that's that email is questions at calvarysa.com. Again, you can use the mobile app to submit your questions for our church or our church mobile app, or you can use the KSLR app to dial in directly. And for for those that are in the radio listening audience, uh, Pastor Ron and Paula are away this week, but they send their love. They miss the radio listening audience tremendously. And so they'll be back. Uh, he'll be back here on the show next week. And they'll be back for their date day edition. Oh, this gives me a chance to also say that this week, the date day edition will be me and my best friend, my wife, May. We get to do the show this Thursday. But Pastor Ron and Paula send their love to the radio listening audience. Okay. Well, let's get back into our questions. We don't have anyone waiting on the line. And so uh, we've got a few here submitted to the email inbox. The first one is anonymous. Pastor Ken? I am enjoying your Monday night's men's Bible study in Romans. Uh, that book is so rich and encouraging. Question, do you think Paul was so bold and all in for Jesus because, uh, it, well, I'm sorry, do you think Paul was so bold and all in for Jesus is because he saw him? How do we get that type of faith today? Well, Anonymous, you're right, Paul, the apostle, was actually visited by Jesus. We study this in the book of Acts, and it was at least three times that, that Paul the Apostle was visited by Jesus. And if you look at the times when Paul was visited by Jesus, it was when he was at his lowest point, suffering in ministry, and it felt like uh, almost quitting. Even if he didn't say that, he was that despondent, and Jesus would appear to him. And that had to solidify his faith even more. Paul knew from the very beginning when he was saved on the road to Damascus that, that his calling was going to be a difficult one because there were things that Jesus told him that he was going to suffer for his namesake. And in the course of serving Jesus, 
there was so much fruit that was being produced in every city through Asia, Asia Minor, through the first and second and third uh, uh, missionary journeys, people were getting saved. But that also meant that the spiritual attacks on his life were increased. And so when Paul was visited by Jesus, yes, to answer your question, I do believe that that strengthened his faith. Now, the second part of your question here, Anonymous, is how do we get that type of faith today? You know, Anonymous, we don't need Jesus to visit us because he lives in us. Now, that requires, though, for us to be with him. And we could have that same type, not the exact same type of visitation that Paul the Apostle had, but in the same manner he could speak to us so intimately in the difficult things that we endure. You know, and our problem, Anonymous, is that we're not listening. We're not with him. We let the things of this world distract us. But Jesus is, is, is pleading with us for our time because all he wants to do is spend time with us in the word. And that's how we can have that same type of faith today. It's important for us to understand that, you know, Paul the Apostle, the one man that God used to pen two-thirds of the, the New Testament, greatly used by, by any other man not named Jesus in the history of mankind, was a normal man, just like you and me. He had the same struggles that you and I had. He struggled with depression. He struggled with with people not liking him. He struggled with being uh, beaten up. And he got tired. He got hungry. But I love the fact that he continued. He continued because he understood that, that the life that he now lives, he lives by faith in the Son of God, the one who died for him. And we have to think of ourselves the same exact way. And that, Anonymous, is how we have that same type of faith. Well, I'm glad you're enjoying the Romans Bible study on Monday nights. I'm enjoying it as well. So I appreciate the question. There is another question from our email inbox. This one is sent from a person named Help. And so I'm guessing this is Anonymous also. I need advice. My 12-year-old son just told me he was gay. What do I do? I need help. And was wondering what I should do. And has your church dealt with this before? What do you do for your middle school and high school groups about this issue? Okay, help. Well, I'm glad you asked this question 12 years old, at 12 years old, you don't know what you know. And and uh, your child here is just regurgitating everything that they're hearing from their friends, everything that they read online. And they simply don't know enough to formulate their own thoughts. So what they do is, is they're easily molded and shaped by their surroundings. And then uh, you don't say anything about what kind of environment your child your son has, but, but uh, if your child is one of those children that are immersed in social media all day long, well, this is not going to be surprising. If they're uh, surrounded by friends that are, none of them are Christians, well, this is what they're going to think. Now, your question about what do I do, what you do for your son is show your son Jesus. Every single person that is born wants to be loved. Every single person wants to be loved. Your son was not born gay. This is just something that the enemy is sort of convinced him of. But the truth is he just wants to be loved. What we do is show people that the love that they're looking for is found in Jesus Christ. I tell people all the time, that everything that they've been looking for all their life is found in Jesus. 
Now, what do you do? You, you encourage him in Jesus. Tell him what the Word of God says. Tell him how, how madly in love Jesus is with him. Open up your Bible and read to your son. And, and show him who Jesus is. That's what you can do at home. And, and you have to back this up at home with a lifestyle that is fruitful in the Lord. That means uh, your son needs to see the fruit of the Spirit active in your life. The fruit of the Spirit, the singular fruit of the Spirit is love. And this fruit, this love is manifested in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All these things, even if they're nine separate characteristics, really are encapsulated, rolled up in Jesus' love. So your son needs to see all of these things at home coming from you coming through you from Jesus. And this is how you help him. Because again, he's looking to be loved. And he has been convinced, or at least starting to be convinced, that that that, that there is an alternative lifestyle that will give him the love that he's looking for. It's not true. Show him Jesus. Now, the third and fourth part of your question, has your church dealt with this before? Yes, we do. We see kids... I won't say all the time, but often, who who say the exact same thing, but they don't know what they're talking about. Once they realize the true love that they're looking for is offered in the person of Jesus Christ, their hearts are changed. Their hearts are changed. Now, the last part of your question here, what do you do for your middle school and high school groups about this issue? I'm so glad you asked this. Here at Calvary Chapel, what we do is we teach the Word of God. We teach the Word of God to the children at the age level that they can comprehend. And so for the little kids and for the babies and for the toddlers and for the first and third graders, they're going to have the Word of God taught to them in a way that they'll understand. Now, for the middle school and high school groups, the teaching's obviously going to be different. But it's it's going to be exegetical. That means we're systematically going through the Word of God, teaching them who Jesus is. And I promise you, in our middle school and high school groups here, we've got pastors, our junior high pastor and our high school pastor, Pastor Matthew and Pastor Chris, who deal with this all the time in a loving, biblical way to show them who Jesus really is. And so I don't know if you're in the vicinity, but if you are and you're looking for a church, we would love to have your son come to church here and introduce him to Pastor Matthew, who's our youth pastor, or Pastor Chris, the junior high pastor, and, and have them sit down with your son and talk these things through. Sometimes... You know, a different voice using the exact same words that's not from mom or not from dad can be more effective. And and that's what we love to do. So uh, help, I, I'm putting this out there for you. If you are uh, looking for a church, a home church, uh, come visit us and set up some time with the youth pastors here, and they would love to speak to you. If you already got a home church, God bless you. Talk to your pastor there. Talk to your pastor there and, and let them know exactly what's going on. And I'm confident they will do the exact same thing. And so thank you for your question. Um, and I'll be praying for your 12-year-old son help. Uh, you're not alone. You're not alone. Okay, let's go back to our email inbox. This is from Anonymous. It says, 100% just keeps coming to my mind since your sermon on Sunday. God wants 100% of our lives and our hearts. So simple. 
the answer to our feeling of being unfulfilled. He's the one, he's the only one who can fill us up. So simple, it hit me like a rock. Well, Anonymous, I'm glad that you are so receptive to the Word of God, and I'm glad that the teaching on Sunday touched your heart with that. Like Pastor Ron says, that speaks more to your heart, specifically to the receptiveness of your heart than it does my teaching. So God bless you, and that is an encouragement. But you're right. You're absolutely right. God wants all of our hearts, not just part of our hearts. And it's because he always knows what's best for us. And, you know, the teaching on Sunday, I taught out of Micah chapter 6. And it is so clear and so plain speaking to Israel, specifically to Judah, through the prophet Micah. When, 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 when Israel was at a point where they were just grumbling and complaining in their sin, that God was, was asking too much from them, in their frustration, they sarcastically asked questions that God provided really simple answers to. He has already shown us as New, believer, New Testament believers what is good and what the Lord requires of us. Our whole hearts, our whole hearts. Let's go to our phone lines. We have Ray on line one. Ray, you're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ken. How are you? Hi, Ray. I'm doing well. Good. Well, um, I've gotten... uh, kind of upset at the way things are coming across the the news and today's atmosphere um mm. such as uh oh I, the thing that set me off latest was uh the the new superman being uh bisexual or you know non uh, I don't know <laughs> logos legos I mean being non-gender and and all this emphasis on oh you you've got to accept everybody for everything and you know right there's no no more mr potato head also uh you know that's that's sexist or what it just you know aunt jemima pancakes uncle ben's rice there's it's it's None of that is is anymore. How wholesome is that, you know? I mean, no wonder people and their kids are having such a hard time when that is the norm. I don't know what can we do about that, you know, other than just keep to ourselves and pray. I don't think that's going to be good enough, so... Well, I'm 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 going to have to get off and listen to you. (laughs) Because okay. I could ramble on and on, and I don't want to be labeled as that misogynistic or anything else, you know? Um, okay, so Ray. listen. Okay. Well, thank you for your call, and I will answer your question. I appreciate it. I can hear the frustration in your voice. Let me provide some comfort for you, because I know you, Ray. You are a born-again Christian. I know that the Spirit of God lives in you. And so here's what we need to do as born-again Christians. We have to stop. Let me back up. We have to take our eyes off of the world and turn them back to Jesus. Now, I know you, and I know you're listening to the Holy Spirit, and I know you know the Word of God, but too often, too many Christians are closer to the news, are closer to current events than they are to the Word of God. And every single time there's a... I mean, this is what the the news media profits from. They profit from people reacting. And it isn't about news anymore. They're generating uh, reactions because that translates into numbers. But, Ray, for Christians, what we have to do is remember what Paul the Apostle wrote to the church in Corinth in the second letter. He says, 
we are not ignorant of his devices. We're not unaware of his schemes. And ultimately, that's what's going on. Yes, our heart breaks when we see our culture crumbling before our very eyes and things changing. And that doesn't mean we just stand back and do nothing, but it means we have to keep our eyes locked in on Jesus because he's the one that supplies our hope. We we don't receive hope from the things of this world. I mean, it's going to get worse. But when Paul writes to the church there at Corinth, what he's trying to do is get their attention off of their circumstances, off of their environment, and turn their attention back to Jesus in order that Satan would not outwit us, he writes. If you think about that, I mean, that's the prince of the air. And, you know, he uses the radio waves, the airwaves, the media to manipulate our our emotions. And so we just have to guard ourselves from being so easily moved by these things. Because the second part of it, Ray, is this. Our calling is to be a light and witness to this world. And Ray, the only way we can be a light and a witness to a lost and dying world is if we have our firm foundation in the Word of God and and we are proclaiming the truth of God's Word, not reacting to the news. It's important to know what's going on in the world, but that's just news. It's just information. We draw our hope from the Word of God so that we can go out and minister to people who are hurting, who are lost, who are dying. And Ray, remember this too. You have the Holy Spirit living in you who will give you the discernment. When you notice that you are too involved, emotionally involved in things that, that in news that, that makes your, takes your attention away, you, then it means you need to step away. That means you need to step away. Turn the TV off. Turn the radio off. And and let the Lord minister to your heart. Yes, our hearts break, but you know, with Aunt Jemima and and all you know, the Superman changes. Yeah, we can see how ridiculous all of that is. But we don't have to react to it. Instead, we turn our attention to the Word of God and remember that this is part of the enemy's schemes, and we're not ignorant of his schemes. We're not ignorant of his devices that Satan would outwit us. So my heart goes out to you, Ray. I, I am, am in 100% agreement with you of the ridiculousness of everything that's changing around us. But remember, the society that we're in is trying to get a reaction out of you, especially to Christians, because it takes our attention off of Jesus and onto our surroundings. And so we can't do that. We can't do that, Ray. I appreciate your call. I really do. I really do. Okay, let's go back to, let's see, we got, we got time still. Let's go back to our questions that have been submitted. Um, I watched, this is from Anonymous. I watched a documentary type show that described the battle where Jerusalem and the temple were destroyed in 70 AD. I could not help but think about how this must have broken God's heart. Was this after the apostle had died? Uh, yes. Yes, Paul, the apostle, probably died around 68 AD. And this uh, Roman general, Titus, had destroyed the temple in 70 AD. And, and so it would be after the apostle Paul had died. And you're right. Um, this would have broken God's heart. It would have, but not broken God's heart because his temple was destroyed. It would have broken God's heart because his people were being destroyed and, and, and they were suffering the consequences of their disobedience. And this is the same heart that God had towards his people in, in the Old Testament when Israel would be demonstrate their disobedience time and time again, God being patient with them, would send his men 
to warn them, but they would disregard the warnings. And so when they would suffer the consequences through the Assyrian armies attacking the northern kingdom and through the Babylonian armies that were attacking the southern kingdom, his heart, God's heart would break every single time. But they had to understand, the people had to understand that this was the consequence of their own sin because they rejected their God. And so, yes, you're right, this would be after the apostle Paul had died. We've got just a couple of minutes left. We don't have any more time to take phone calls. Um, I do have a quick quick question that I can take here. This one was, again, an anonymous one. Uh, the question is, was Laban Jacob's uncle as well as his father-in-law? The answer is yes. The answer, the simple answer is yes. Jacob, uh, remember, had his brother Esau, and, and Jacob and Esau had, when Jacob had fled from Esau, he had uh, took in, taken refuge in the house of Laban. That was his uncle, but he also fell in love with Laban's daughters. And so that would eventually be both his father-in-law and his uncle. And we know this because of Genesis, reading in chapter 29. And so thank you for your question, Anonymous. Uh, there are... There's so much application here because in Jacob's story alone, and, you know, Pastor Ron always talks about how he really identifies with Jacob. I actually do, too. Uh, Jacob was one of those that Wiley Jacob learned his own lesson when he had to taste his own medicine later on in life. He couldn't get away with the things that he always got away with. And God used Laban to help him learn that lesson. Well, you can hear the music. That means we are done with the Tuesday edition of The Word to Stand On for Life. My name is Pastor Ken. I'll see you tomorrow, 4 o'clock. God bless you. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.